Well, all the people said. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Daniel, choir, orchestra. And all of you, thank you. Great to see you this morning. We have looked forward to this. And you don't know this, but we've been praying for you for at least 10 years. We knew Wes was going to come to pastor his first church at some point. He's been involved in church work for at least 10 years and more uh, with his dad and uh, ministers to uh, single adults and missions and travel around the world. So he's had a lot of experience, but we knew he'd be pastor someday. So we just prayed for you and look at you. You're wonderful. Thank you for being so good to, to our kids. Uh, we, we, actually, we actually watched the service when the pulpit committee presented uh, Wes to you. And uh, what a great job. Uh, it was just a terrific job. Your committee was outstanding. And uh, so anyway, it's just been it's great to be here. And thank you for that, uh, being so kind to them. I followed a pastor one time who'd been there over 30 years. Best church experience for a young pastor. And Dr. Washburn, Stephen Washburn, been here 30 years. He, he blazed a good trail. Amen. And he's, le he's left the door wide open and, and uh, he's gonna be your pastor's biggest cheerleader. I can tell you that because I'm now back to the church I pastored for many years. And I told my pastor, I'll never do anything you don't want me to do. I'll do anything you do want me to do. I'll never cause you any problem. I'll be your biggest cheerleader. And I am, and I'm thankful for that privilege, and I know Steve will do the same thing here, and uh, we're grateful for that. So just thank you. It's good to be here. I, 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 I got so many things I'd like to say. Here's Carol uh, down here that uh, worked with us at Lifeway with the, with the, uh, uh, the crisis pregnancy centers and other things that Carol Everett, and then Ann Hayes uh, down here, Hedinger. Uh, Ann was on our staff in Ulysses. She's president of... Texas Baptist Pro Life or Concerned Women for America, Concerned. Concerned Women for America. And, and so so many friends and David and Julie. I've known Julie all her life. I got to marry them. And uh, they said that I forgot to say pronounce them husband and wife. I don't know, but anyway, they made it. And uh, David's been a special friend, and you've been fortunate to have him as your interim pastor. So, thank you, David. God bless you. And, uh, and Julie, and I see my time is almost up, so I about bit, ought to quit, maybe. All right. Well, anyway, we, we're going to look at the Scripture this morning, and what I want to talk to you about is in 1 Thessalonians 5. If you would turn with me or on the screens, or however you choose to do it, I guess I ought to say your iPad, your iPhone, or whatever you read your Scripture on, but whatever it is, we're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, I don't know what your practice is. But when I was a pastor, we always stood to read the Scripture. Y'all want to stand with me? Just stand up. We're going to read just a few verses, and I'll read it, and you just follow along. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another 
and for all. Father, thank you for this passage. It just opens up so many things about what a church ought to be, what a pastor ought to be, and we thank you that we can examine it and hear your will in regard to both church and pastor. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, thank you. you. May be seated. Thessalonica was an interesting church for the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you go to the 17th chapter of Acts, you'll find out he was only there 15 days. <laughs> that, that wasn't very long. Uh, he, he got run out of town, actually. Uh, chapter 17 talks about all the Ju Judaizers who came against him. He was at the synagogue for three Sabbaths. Best I can count, that's 15 days. And then they ran him out of town. So he was not there when this church was founded. He did not have a chance to really train and to equip the people and to direct them and how they ought to act, how they ought to look uh, at each other and, the, and, and their leaders. And so First and Second Thessalonians is kind of him doing what he didn't get to do in person. And uh, so uh, it, it, it's this very short book also, and the brevity of this exhortation is good news. It means the church was not embroiled in a controversy. They weren't fighting over anything. That's very unusual. <laughs> you know, we, we Baptists like, like to discuss things uh, and argue about them. I always heard if you had three Baptists together, you had at least four opinions. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, we, we like that kind of thing. So uh, he, uh, uh, he, had, he uh, was writing to a church that was not in crisis. Uh, it was preventive counseling. He's writing to tell them how they ought to do things in the future. Now, I, apparently, they had some inexperienced leaders. Now, I say apparently because uh, it was a purely pagan city, and they had a new church planted there, and, and the new leaders had to be recently converted. So apparently, the new leaders had, uh, had been uh, some, somewhat, they were inexperienced, and perhaps they were tactless. Maybe they did things in maybe a, a little rough way sometimes. And, and some of the believers were misbehaving. And leaders maybe in calling them to, uh, uh, to uh, repentance and to purity may did so in kind of an awkward way. I mean, it, it was, these were not problems that were huge, but they were conditions that existed. So he's writing to talk to them about the church. And he reminds them uh, that... Uh, that he was called of God. In Timothy, he told Timothy that, that Paul said, I've been appointed to preach the gospel. And when you uh, uh, came over to Galatians, he said, he, he said from, the, from my mother's womb, God called me and anointed me to preach the gospel. And so he, he identifies himself as one called of God. And, and I, I have to remind you, you do not hire a pastor. You call a pastor. That means you, you don't call him to do everything. And we'll talk more about this in a minute. Uh, he can't do everything. If he could, he shouldn't. Ephesians 4 says his job is to help you be equipped so that you can do the work of the ministry. Amen. In other words, there was very little difference between the ministry and the laity in the New Testament church. There was a leadership uh, differences but there was very little difference. I, in fact, I wrote a little book one time called Every Christian a Minister. And that's true. You're all ministers. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you're ministers of Jesus Christ. And the pastor's role is to help you develop in your maturity and in your relationship with God so that you too can be a minister. Can I move this? 
I don't like to look through things, see anybody. Sorry. Oh, there you are over there. Okay, good. <laughs> got, got rid of that. Okay, so we're going to look at this passage. And by the way, I have read your covenant that you're going to do in just a little bit. And this passage is your biblical basis for your covenant. It's amazing how similar that is. But there are just three things here that I want you to see as we look at the, at the church and its pastor. First of all, you need to understand the pastor's role. You need to understand the pastor's role. We ask you to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you. You need to understand the pastor's role. There's an urgency about it. Uh, there's an urgency about it. It's in the present tense. And in the, in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, the tenses are different than English. This is present tense. It's happening right now. It doesn't mean that in Greek. Oh, it means it's happening now, but it means it's going to keep on happening. It speaks of kind of action, not time of action. And so this is an urgency, urgent thing that he is presenting. You need to give recognition to those who lead you, to those who are over you uh, and lead you in the Lord. That's very, very important for you to give recognition to them. Now, the word give recognition there is an interesting word because it literally means to know. You need to know him. You need to know your pastor. You need to know who he is. You need to understand what his role is. Uh, you just need to know him. Oh, and by the way, the language itself indicates, hang on, that you need to like him. <laughs> I mean, to know him in a way that is very favorable. That's what it means. You need to know who he is, know all about him, and, 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 and let me tell you how you need, you need to treat your pastor like you treat your spouse. Always give them the benefit of the doubt. He's going to make some mistakes. It's okay. You do too. You want him to forgive you, don't you? Well, then you need to forgive him. He's not going to always be right. I remember when I went to First Southern Baptist Church in Dale City, Oklahoma, the deacons told me this. You may not always be right, but you'll always be our pastor. Amen. Uh, they said, they, they kind of cute what they said. They said, we'll follow you anywhere once. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't make the same mistake twice. That's what they asked. Now, there's going to be mistakes, but you need, to, you need to have a knowledge of your pastor that is favorable. There's an urgency about this. It is a pressing need. Keep doing this. And then it describes the pastor's uh, assignment. There are three descriptive statements here about what a pastor does. First of all, it says, who labor among you. That too is a present participle. means he is keeping on laboring among you. And by the way, every once in a while, some well-meaning individual will say, boy, what a job you got, preacher. You only work one day a week. <laughs> Follow him around one week. Do you know how long it takes him to get ready to preach? Now, he's good. He's very excellent at it. Take about 30 hours a week to prepare to preach on Sunday. 30 hours. That's before he does anything. That's just getting ready. And by the way, you need him. You need him to stand in this pulpit and tell you, this is what God says and this is what you ought to do about it. You need the man in the box. You need the man in the pulpit that's going to tell you what God said and tell you what to do about it. That's what you, you want him to do that. It's not going to always be pleasant. 
It's not going to always be without pain. It's going to be some difficulty to it, but you need a man who will tell you the truth. Amen. And he'll do that. I vouch for him. He'll tell you the truth. Uh, and by the way, the word labor there is a word which means to labor to the point of exhaustion. Labor to the point of exhaustion. Listen, it's, being a pastor is hard work. Uh, it, it's, the, the best compliment I ever got was from one of my dear deacon friends. He said, you're the hardest working preacher I ever saw. Listen, it's hard work. It's not easy. You want an easy job. Ministry's not it. It's just not it. Uh, you, you, you need to, uh, he works to the point of exhaustion. He's never away from his, from his task. It's self-denying work. He never has any time to himself. He's not going to take Fridays off because he doesn't have any time to take off. He is your pastor 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It's hard work. So he says, you, you need to, to know those who labor among you. And, and then it says, those who lead you in the Lord. Now, this speaks of his role as, a, as an overseer. Uh, he has oversight, leadership. And, and that needs to be expressed and will be from his standpoint. It needs to be expressed in the warmth of Christian love. This is present tense also. And by the way, the original language literally says that you need to, uh, uh, that you need to, uh, uh, give, uh, to give respect and recognition to, to the one who stands before you. That's literally what the text means. The one who stands before you. He stands before you. And so he needs to have... Uh, that, that's his job, to lead you in the Lord and then to, to admonish you. That too is present tense. That means he's going to challenge you to obedience. That's why you're not going to always like it. But it's always right to do what God says. Now, Wes, I, I taught him this. If you're going to preach, preach the Bible. Amen. Then people have to argue with God and not with you. You want to argue with somebody? Have at it. Here, it's what God said. That's what he's here for. He's here there to admonish you, to call you. to. Our problem is not with verses we don't understand. Our problem is with verses we do understand and not willing to do anything about. Now, his task is going to be to keep you on target in your maturity. And it's not an it's not a, a, a office or a position, but a task that you are, you are remembering him. You're knowing about him. Uh, he is a leader and a caregiver. And that, that's his assignment. So you need to understand the pastor's role. Now, the New Testament uses a number of words, and I, I won't... I'm just going to mention to you, the most prominent word for pastor in the New Testament is a word that could be translated shepherd. Shepherd. Uh, he, he watches the flock as a shepherd. And biblically, the word shepherd is the chief Im uh, image uh, of the uh, role of the pastor. He is a shepherd. He is here to take care of you, to protect you uh, spiritually, and to lead you in the Lord. Uh, another word is, is uh, overseer or administrator. That's a heavy responsibility. Uh, overseeing sp the spiritual welfare of the congregation is a difficult task, and guiding the staff and, and leading the program and the relationships of the church. So that there is a, a, a biblical responsibility that the pastor has over, of oversight to you. And Hebrews 13 talks about how, how you ought to really respect those who are over you because he has to give an account to God for you. He's not accountable to you. 
He's accountable to God. So you can trust God to take care of that. You don't need to criticize him. God's already taken care of that. He'll tell him when it's wrong. I mean, it's, it's a, it is a, an assignment, an oversight assignment. And then there's the word elder. And by the way, the word elder does not re- regard age. It speaks of someone who is wise, someone who has, has insight. And, and you have already determined in, in the times that you met with him when he, was, he and Bethany were here, uh, he is a man who has, has great insight into Scripture and deeply walks with the Lord. So that word, uh, uh, elder, is there. The elders in ancient times sat at the gate and they were recognized for their wisdom and they offered counsel for difficult, uh, difficult questions. It was not a question of age, but a question of wisdom. And... Uh, The longer the pastor is with you, the wiser his counsel will be. That's his assignment. Then the word servant. He is a servant. I personally believe. He believes. The pastor's role is that of a servant leader. It's not a general. It's not someone who who demands that you do this or that. Uh, He is is a a leader uh, who serves you. That's the role. Uh, and also, there's, there's another word on and, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, uh, that literally means under roars. And it just, uh, the, the, you remember those Roman trireme ships with the oars sticking out the side of the windows? The under roars, that's the worst job uh, in there. And that's the word that Paul said, that's who we are. When, when the church was asking, uh, who is Paul and who is, or what is Paul and what is uh, uh, Apollos? Uh, he said, we're servants. That was in the third chapter. In the fourth chapter, he said, we're servants, translated service, but it's under roars, hard work. You can't get away from the fact, this is hard work. You talk about PTSD. A lot of pastors get PTSD. It's hard work. And so you need to pray for him. God will, that God will bless him. And, and, and then, then the last word I would tell it, it's the word steward uh, or manager. He is a steward of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is a steward of the message of the Bible. And, and you want a man who is faithful. In fact, in, uh, when it talks about that in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, he says it's required stewards that they be faithful. They be faithful. You want a faithful steward who will hold before you what you need to do as you move forward in faith. So you need to understand the role of the pastor. Now, secondly, you need to undergird the pastor's Leadership. It says that you, uh, uh, that, that you ought to esteem him highly in love. And then it says, now, brothers, warn those who are unruly. And it starts telling things that you ought to be doing that sounds like something the pastor ought to do. Flash news. He needs your help. Amen. He can't do this by himself. He, he's not a, a man who stands in his own strength. He's, he's not a man who's going to stand here and, and be, be uh, uh, unruly or, or be in any way rough or un, unwilling to deal with issues. Uh, but it, it's a, you need to pray for him because you need to undertake the pastor's ministry. Now, how are you going to do that? Well, first, he says, uh, you regard them very highly. That, that is, you need to think right about him. You need to respect him. You need to appreciate his worth. Think of everything that is demanded of the pastor. He's always expected to do and say the right thing. Think of how many opportunities he has every week to mess up. Just think about it. He may go from a 
Sunday school meeting, to a deacon's meeting, to a funeral, to a wedding, and a baptism, all the same day. I know one pastor, Wallace Bassett, pastored in First Baptist, uh, Old Cliff Baptist Church, and uh, he, uh, uh, he had uh, a funeral and a wedding one Sunday afternoon when he got up in the baptistry to baptize. He said, marriage is a sacred institution. <laughs> and then he caught himself and he said, and so is baptism. <laughs> And so, I mean, listen, think of all the times he, he, he can mess up. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, I'll just leave it there. It, that's a, yeah. <laughs> you, you need to think right about him. Uh, and, and, and this is something that's demanded. He says very highly. That expresses uh, uh, em, uh, em, em, emphasis and, and, uh, and expression. It's a compound, a strong superlative. Present tense again. It's happen, all to happen now, it needs to keep on happening. That's what he means. So you need to think right about him. You need to feel right about him. You esteem them very highly in love. In love. Love is a characteristic attitude of the believer. And it, it has to be seen in the church. It's not a matter of personality or, or competition or anything like that. Uh, you, your part is to feel right about your pastor. You need to love him. It's God-ordained leadership. This love cements the binding relationship between the pastor and his people. He's going to love you intensely. You need to love him the same way. So you need to think right about him. You need to feel right about him. And you need to act right about him. Uh, because of his work, it says. Now, you see, the good of the church is the most important thing. The church cannot function effectively if the pastor is not loyally supported. Wrong actions toward the pastor paralyzes the church. Right actions freeze and energizes the church. It, it's not his position, it's his ministry. You're feeling right and thinking right and acting right about him because he's doing his job well. He's doing the work of ministry well. And so uh, his work is his badge of honor. The pastor is to be respected not on the basis of a gift he possesses, but uh, uh, by, uh, upon the occasion of a gift that he exercises responsibly. So you're to act right about him. So you need to undergird the pastor's leadership. And then the third thing, thing is that you need to undertake the pastor's ministry. Beginning of verse, the last of verse 13. Uh, and by the way, there's an interesting thing. All these verses in this passage uh, go from, uh, in, in verses 12 uh, down through uh, 22. All the verbs are imperative but one. I mean, these are not options. This is, it's imperative. And imperative in, in the Greek language means the same thing it does in our, It's a command. It's not a suggestion. You know, we don't have the Ten Suggestions. We have the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's what we're, we're, we're talking about here. And, uh, and so uh, he, he is telling you that, that Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, you, you need to, you need, he, he commanded them, first of all, you need to have peace in your midst. That's a present imperative. Peace and harmony always follow when you feel right and think right and act right and know right about your pastor. Don't let Satan throw a stone in front of you. And it's a joint assignment. Back to what I said just a moment ago. It says, we exhort you, brothers. Now he's talking about you. 
Now Paul's talking about the church. We exhort you, that's present tense, all of you. The pastor is to equip the saints for ministry, not do all the ministry. It's not enough. It's not enough to respect your pastor or to refrain from criticizing him or to honor him for work he's called to do. You need to help him and share the work that needs to be done. The church moving together is the most important thing. And the only way you're going to reach it, you know, it's staggering. We drove through the, through the community. You, you know what? There's nothing but people out here. They're everywhere. Turn any street. Go down any, any dead end and you'll find that there are houses everywhere. The only way your church is going to be effective in being what God wants you to be in this community is if you do it with your pastor. You follow his leadership and you work with him and beside him. Uh, so it's a joint assignment. Help him uh, with the work and share the work. Uh, the, the presence of a faithful pastor does not relieve any church member of your responsibility to be a minister. He can't do it by himself. Okay, undertake the pastor's ministry. Now, it says that we are to, you brothers, you're to warn those who are lazy, disorderly, idle. That is a present imperative. It's another imperative. It's not a suggestion. By the way, when you read through this passage, the key is when you know the pastor and you esteem or you love the pastor, all these things happen. None of these things can happen if you don't. So if you can't make it past those first three verses, you're not going to make it into these last verses. And these are all commands except one. I'll show you in just a minute. He says you're to warn those who are lazy, who are disorderly, who are idle. It's a military word. There's some who are out of step. And so you, you, you get them to shape up. Give them discipline so they can become what God created them to be. And it also is a reminder to all of us, we need to be patient with everybody. My dad told me, he said, be kind to everybody because everybody's having a hard time. And that's true. Your pastor is a hurting man preaching to hurting people. And that's, that's true every time he stands to preach. So be patient. Never be unkind, vindictive. Uh, you're to comfort and help those who are patient. Again, that's a present imperative. Uh, you, now, here he says, don't retaliate. Don't return evil for evil. That's an aorist tense, not a, not a present tense, not, not an imperative. It's the only non-imperative in these last verses. And it's, it's an interesting thing. The aorist tense has no equal in the English language. I'd say maybe a past perfect tense. And probably neither one of us understand what that is. Uh, but, but it's a, a, a past perfect tense. That's kind of what the aorist is. It means that something happened at a point in time and it still stands as having happened. Now, let me give you an illustration. In 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul says, Seeing we're having this ministry. He's writing to the church at Corinth. By the way, I wish I had time to talk to you about all. Every church in the New Testament is a first-generation first church. So it might help you understand, you know, the New Testament's talking to new believers, talking to new church, churches being planted. And, uh, and so uh, we need to, uh, anyway, you just need to remember that. Now, Paul, when he, when he was writing to the Corinthians, he said, because we're having this ministry, we have made some renunciations. He said, we have renounced shameful, secret things. 
Uh, and uh, we, we've renounced selfish things, and we, we, we've renounced the, the right to distort in any way the Scripture or misrepresent or manipulate people. And that word is in the aorist tense. That means, listen carefully, that means you do not have to wait till you're tempted to say no. You get in trouble when temptation comes, and you have to decide whether or not you're going to do it. It's kind of like when Carol Ann and I married. We've been married 65 years. She refuses to let me have girlfriends. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? No, that's what marriage is. When temptation comes, I don't have to decide whether or not I'm going to do it. Because I've already made that decision. I made it 65 years ago. And I'm going to keep on making it. This is what the air is tense in here. This is something. When he, when he talks about uh, about this matter of, of don't return evil for evil. Uh, he's saying, make your commitment now, you're not going to do this. And God knows we're living in a world where we're going to get hit with a lot of evil. Don't be surprised about it, but don't retaliate. You can pray about it. But you can make the decision now, you're not going to disgrace God and disrespect your faith by doing something foolish when something comes against you. So decide now. We're not going to retaliate. That's what he's saying. Make that decision now. Then he goes on. He, say, he, he says you need to actively determine to do the right thing. And that, that again, is a, an imperative, present imperative. And within and without the church, there needs to be a mutual love and obedience to, the greatest, to be the greatest witness in the world. He says then rejoice always. That's an imperative. Then he says pray constantly. That's an imperative. Then he says give thanks. That's an imperative. Then he says, uh, don't stifle or quench the Spirit. Don't reject the Holy Spirit. That's an imperative. Don't, don't despise what you hear. Test everything. Make sure it lines up with Scripture. That's an imperative. Hold on to what is good and stay away from evil. That is an imperative. Let, you need to have peace and unity. That is not an option. That is an imperative. And that's what God says is what you as a church need to undertake. So you think right about your pastor and feel right about him and act right about him and pray for him. And you go, all these things are not options. They are commanded of the church. And oh, by the way, thank you. You're that kind of church. You're a happy church. You're a respectful church. Your church is not in crisis. And, and that's the way it ought to be. And you can expect all of these things, the unity and the peace and the, and the gratitude and all these things that Paul mentions in these verses rests upon this church because you've done it right. Now maybe you wonder the, where the word pulpit came from. This is a pulpit, and I think it's a new pulpit for you. And this is one Wes used for the last number of years uh, when he preached at Church and College Station, which is often. Uh, they let him bring it so he could have it here with you with the full uh, support of all of you. Uh, but you ever wonder where the, the concept of the pulpit came from? Well, it's a, it's a naval term. In ancient times, if you remember, there's the, there was all, the, the, the point of the front of the ship is called the prow. And you, you may have seen a, some carving on the, on the, what you may not have noticed is that in those ancient ships, there was a place for someone to stand behind the prow. 
And they call that the pulpit. He rode the pulpit. Now, it was an interesting place for that man to ride. He, he felt the full blows when the waves raised that ship high and crashed it down into the, uh, to the bottom between the next wave that was coming. It's the man in the pulpit that felt the blow of that. He felt every blow. He could, he could feel more. He, he could see more of what was happening with the, with the ocean. He could see further. It's also painful. Man in the prow. Man on the pulpit. Your pastor is going to be riding the pulpit. He's going to take the blow before you do. He's going to hear something and deal with something before you're even aware of it. That's his job. It's not an easy job. But remember, you didn't hire him. You called him. And God will lead him. And your task is to pray for him. And to, and to be kind and loving to him. When he needs to be encouraged or corrected, do it with gentleness always with love and your bond together will grow stronger and stronger and I look at this auditorium you know what I see I see the day when it'll be full Amen. the people here your pastors here they're going to come you've already built it it's going to be good your pastor will be the leader and you'll be part of it. He'll respect you and you'll respect him. You'll love him, he'll love you. He'll ride the pulpit. Rough days ahead. Who, who would ever have thought, who would ever have thought that we would be actually debating whether a baby's sexual gender was formed at birth by biology or by what they grow up thinking they are? Now, I understand the confusion that people have as they grow, but he created a male and female. He didn't create them neutral and then decide what they are. But your pastor's going to have to face that. He's going to have to deal with those issues. But by the way, most of the issues that your pastor will deal with culturally, follow me, are irrational. Just read uh, the local newspaper. And tell me what you think is rational about anything that Texas House has done this year. Or the Senate. That doesn't mean there are not some good people there. There are some good people there. But the point is, we're living in a culture that, gives, that, that wants to give cre credit to the bizarre and to the unthinkable. And your pastor's going to have to deal with that. Wh whoever thought that we would be trying to discuss whether or not homosexuality is a sin. That would, that would be like discussing whether or not adultery is a sin. Of course homosexuality is a sin. Doesn't mean God doesn't love the homosexual. Doesn't mean that they cannot uh, be reached with the gospel. But who would have thought we'd just be debating? Is it, uh, he's going to have to face that uh, in City Hall, in, uh, in the community, in the church. He's riding the pulpit. It's going to be a rough ride. And, and, and we are, uh, you know, we, we, are in, we are in a time culturally that is so bizarre 
I mean, do you know, now Mike, if you and I were to go down have a cup of coffee at Starbucks, we could tell the House and Senate what to do it and, and solve it in 30 minutes. It's irrational. They talk about the inane and the insignificant, the unimportant. The church has to exist in the midst of this. Now, I have good news for you. That's exactly the kind of world that the church was born in. The church in the New Testament was born in a time that was just as weird and just as bizarre as this day. And I, I say these things not to try to get you thinking about it, but just know your pastor will be riding the pulpit. He'll take the blows. He'll interpret it for you. He'll help you know how you can face it. So understand his role, undergird his ministry, and undertake his ministry. And you do that, God will keep on blessing, and I know that he will. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you so much for what you have done in our hearts and lives and what you're going to do in this church. Bless Brother Wes, every leader in this church, every deacon, every teacher, every member. May the days that lie ahead be the most incredibly wonderful days they've ever known, all for your glory, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.